Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried. Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. And Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Today's pre-recorded sermon and welcome are brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Freedom for the captives. Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. Verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. God was leading his people out of a place of judgment. The new thing that Isaiah spoke about was that God's people would not be punished in Babylon. They would be freed from captivity. But the even greater promise was that Jesus would come and release the prisoners. The prophecy was for God's people then, and it's also for God's people now. After your 70 years of captivity, he will make a way for you. Jesus began his public ministry preaching Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Freedom for the captives and the year of the Lord's favor is also spoken in the Bible as the Jubilee. Jubilee is sacred. It's a time of freedom and celebration for God's people when everyone will receive back their property and slaves will return home. This year is extremely significant. 
we happen to be in the 70th year of Jubilee. It began in somewhere in September of 2015 and goes to September of 2016. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of redemption. Jesus came to free us when we surrender to him, when we turn from our darkness that we've walked in, when we repent, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am freeing you. I am releasing you. I am opening the door for you because you chose to follow me. You chose to die to your agenda and to your sin. And because of that, my purpose will stand. That is what the new thing is. So this is why we've come today, to lay everything aside for Jesus. Welcome to the That's National Prayer Chapel. Is, I made up mind. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Lord, I've made up my mind. I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to let you have your way. So, Lord, I just pray that you would come and speak to each one of us. Lord, have your way today in this message, in this time, Lord. Lord, I step back. Lord, I ask that you would step up and that you would speak clearly, Lord, your word to our hearts. So, Lord, I trust you. My eyes are on you, Jesus. So come and have your way with your people today, Lord. Lord, I bless you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. So Pastor uh, called me Thursday. I was in a meeting, and I'd left my phone there, and I didn't get the phone call, and I got a message, and uh, the message said, you asked me, Ed, if I needed anything. He said, I need you to preach Sunday. <laughs> and so uh, that was Thursday. So, so we know when the Lord asks you to step up, he has to deal with your heart. And so it's, it's been, uh, the Lord's been moving in a powerful way. So. So I just pray that you can hear uh, what the Holy Spirit wants to say today. I think one of the struggles uh, for many of us when we start to walk with Jesus, I mean, we do the repentance, we stop the gross sins, you know, whatever those are, uh, the Lord just cuts those off so quickly and so easily. Uh, when we really get serious about following Jesus to where he brings us through, and we know it's Him. We know it's His power. We know it's His blood. But then there's the painful part that comes when the Lord wants to deal with our ways. That's been, that's been a hard part for me because our ways go back, for most of us, our ways go back to our childhood. It's a way for us to defend ourselves a way for us to survive our circumstances. So I want you to think just for a minute about a young man. He's got 18 brothers, 18 brothers. He's got at least one sister. There's a lot of turmoil in that family, a lot of turmoil. You've got one brother trying to be the man, 
you've got another brother, half-brother, who raped uh, his sister. You've got all sorts of just difficult things going on in that household. Then you have this child who's born. And you all know if, how many people figured out who I'm talking about. David's son, Solomon. I'm talking about Solomon. So Solomon was one of 19 sons, if you can imagine. So you can imagine he was a mama's boy. He didn't get any time with Papa at all. And then on the pecking order, I mean, he was near the bottom. Uh, you can't really tell from the scriptures, but I've, I've looked through Josephus and some other historical things. If he wasn't the youngest, he was certainly near the youngest of the family. So he was not in line to be king. Uh, so, and yet the Lord uh, gave him favor his name literally means peaceable. In the Hebrew, it means peaceable. So one who brings peace. One who brings peace against his adversaries. So the prophet Nathan, the prophet Nathan gave him another name. Blessed are the Lord. Right? So uh, he primarily went by Solomon. So we see this young boy. And all of a sudden, there's a coup, a second coup, actually, where uh, one of his brothers tried to take over. Some mayhem ensued, and then all of a sudden, Solomon was king. Now, depending upon, again, it's not clear in the scripture how old he was. He was certainly young. Uh, he said he was young. Uh, I think Josephus said he was 14 years old. I don't know if that's true. It's not in the scripture anywhere. We know he was a very young man at the time. So here you have a man in the midst of just a really kind of difficult family life, and all of a sudden now he's the king. And so, so I just want you to think about, just for a minute, him as a child. And how, how did he survive? You can imagine being the youngest. It was a tough, I mean, I had a younger sister. We just routinely gave her a hard time. The youngest generally have it the roughest, not always, but oftentimes they have a, a rough way to go. If you had that many brothers, you can imagine uh, life was not too pleasant for him. And so, so we see in the scripture, and I'm going to, go primarily through 1 Kings. But I want to start in 1 Kings chapter 2. This is David's charge to him. So um, reading verse 1, as David's time to draw, to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong therefore and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, and His testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. So David continues to give him instructions. Now, even as a young man, we see we get an inkling of what's in the heart of Solomon. If we look at uh, chapter 2, we see uh, one of his brothers came against, uh, well, actually uh, came against uh, Solomon. We see what happened to him. If you read, like, from verse 19 all the way down um, through verse 27, you see what happened to Joab. You see what happened to Shimea. 
you see all these things, even as a young man, Solomon's heart, Solomon's heart was to draw some kind of comfort zone in his own life. That's how he functioned. That's how he operated. So to draw a parallel to how we would do it in this culture is, well, you have to get the right education. You've got to get that degree. You've got to, you've got to show yourself to be the man or the woman. You've got to go out there and make it happen. And Solomon was one who wanted to go out there and make it happen. Did he want to wait on God? We don't see that here. We see him immediately trying to establish his own kingdom. And so as I've just meditated on this and prayed about it, it's just broke my heart because I've seen that's how I've walked most of my life. So how can I build up my kingdom? And so, so we see in chapter 3 that he formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter. And according to Josephus, he did this 16 times. So he married these women to gain an advantage, to gain some kind of benefit for his kingdom. We don't see Solomon broken before the Lord. We don't see him really just crying out the way David did. We see Solomon being shrewd, looking to maximize his return on investment, trying to just take care of himself. But now at the same time, even though this was true, he had a heart for God. So he was trying to walk two different ways. He was trying to walk in a way that would ensure his kingdom would have peace. And then part of his heart, he had a divided heart. Part of his heart was pulled uh, to follow what God wanted in his heart and in his mind. It says in 1 Kings 3, 3, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So Lord, then he cried out, this is the only time that you really see Solomon praying, other than just public prayer. It says in verse 6 of chapter 3, Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my king, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. So he was definitely young. I do not know how to go out or come in. Now that was his prayer, but this was after he had already had his enemies executed. So it wasn't totally true. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great number who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And so we know God answered him in verse 12. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, 
then I will prolong your days. So we see Solomon's heart was just geared toward himself. We see how he acted. He had a heart for God, but at the same time, he wanted to ensure his own success. Um, he wasn't really fully given to God. And so, even at this point in his life, if you looked at his life, there's specific things the Lord had asked him not to do, which he, which he did very early in his life. And I'll quickly just turn to those in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 16 and 17. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. So Solomon did all of these things, and he thought that it wouldn't apply to him somehow. I, I just wonder, you know, if I've walked that way at times too. Well, you know, it's okay if I'm independent, if I'm self-reliant, and it's not okay. It's not okay. So the great terror of my heart is just to see how I've taken what God's given me and then twisted that into something that I wanted. You know, to pick the kind of life that I wanted, the house that I wanted, the wife that I wanted, all the things, all the things in my life where God would have given me those things, but I wanted to go out and do it on my own. And it's this self-reliant spirit that Solomon had that was his downfall. In the American culture, if you're self-reliant, we, we kind of view that as some kind of, um, some kind of a good thing. We don't see it for what it really is. And I think one of my struggles in, in my heart has been, I've tried to avoid this. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want the Lord to go all the way to the bottom of this, just to unveil my own heart. So it's brought great tears, great pain, just to see how I've treated God because I wanted a comfortable place where I could somehow make peace in my own mind. Not the peace of God, but peace just in my circumstances. So it's, it's such a painful story to read and then to pray over and to, to think about I think all of us have American, you know, as Americans, we've, you know, we've all wanted to be can-do people. And I've just had to lay all that down. And I just see how I've walked in just my own independence. We don't see, like I said, we don't see Solomon crying out. He's got it all covered, so he's going to take what God's given him and then he's going to use that to make a life for himself. It's painful. It's painful. So we see what happens, and we just go through the story. We see how he made alliances. Now, these alliances were to ensure peace between his kingdom and the other kingdoms in the area. So if I can be shrewd enough, then I can make it out of this life by myself. I don't need Jesus. 
I don't need my brothers and my sisters. I can be an independent operator. That's how Solomon was. I don't have to deal with my brothers. I'm sick of that drama. And we see he made alliances here with Hiram in chapter 5. We see he worked to build the temple. The interesting thing about the temple was he spent about seven and a half years building the temple. You see that in chapter 6. He spent almost twice as much time building his own house. So in other words, if you just looked at it logically, you would say that, well, you know, he was a lot more important than Jesus was. I'll, I'll build a house to the Lord, but I'm going to build one to myself, and I'm going to spend double the amount of time on it. So finally, it just comes to a point. You see all the wonderful things with the temple. And then he has to address the people in chapter 8. Verse 12 says, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. So he prayed these prayers, but in his heart, in his deeds, in his behavior, in his behavior, it was all about his kingdom. It was all about his peace. It was all about how he could have a wonderful life. So I don't know about you. I, when I think about Solomon, I just, it just brings great tears to my, to my heart. I said, Lord. So it gets to the point, really, where it gets very serious. We see all the different things, the wonderful things. So chapter 9, he gets another warning from God. So God will always warn us, you know, if, we, if we're not walking with him, if, if our heart's not fully turned, if we're not fully, if we've not fully given our life to Jesus, He'll show us that. He'll call us. He'll bring great conviction to our heart. And then we have a choice. We have to make a choice at that point. What are we going to do? Am I, am I going to try to make a life for myself? Or am I just going to give everything into the control of God and let Him have His way? Let Him have whatever He wants in my life. And one of God's ways is that he will warn us before he brings judgment. He said, uh, chapter 9 of 1 Kings, verse 4 says, As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever just as I promised to your father David. You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel, but if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have considered for my name. I I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to his land and to his house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. 
So in the great kindness of God, when we go out and we try to make our own way apart from him, he brings us a warning. He brings us a kind warning. This is the second time. And then if we choose to continue to, to walk our own way, and I know this is true because it's happened to me so many times in my own life, it's, it's quite terrifying. Um, it's in uh, chapter 11. And we're going to go back to the first part, but uh, look at verse 14. Then the Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal line in Edom. So once we begin to walk in self-reliance and pride, uh, God aligns against us. And he sends adversaries that we can't overcome. That we can't overcome. I mean, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, but he couldn't outfox the adversaries that God, because God sent them. This has been painful for me because God's done this to me so many times to grab my attention, to say, Ed, you're walking in self-sufficiency. You're walking in pride. And I couldn't, I couldn't beat him. I mean, the first time I was conscious of this was when my first wife was very sick. And I knew she was dying, and there wasn't anything I could do. There was absolutely nothing I could do to save her. It just broke my heart. It just broke my heart. So, but the frightening thing for me with Solomon is to see his reaction. You know, what is your reaction when God brings adversaries against you, when he unveils your own heart and he brings adversaries because you're walking in pride? Do you rise up and say, you know, I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm going to take care of business? I've tried to do that. And I just can't walk that way anymore. I can't walk that way anymore. There's no deliverance in that. So when the Lord does this with Solomon, do we see a heart, a brokenheartedness? Do we see repentance? No, we see these wonderful proverbs. We see philosophical postulates that are largely true. Actually, if you read the proverbs, uh, if I'd had a, a few more days, I was just going to piece together everything that Solomon said about righteousness because it's just a little blurb here, a little blurb there. It, it's just splattered throughout the proverbs. But he didn't walk in it because he, he didn't want to give up the control of his life. And he thought he could have it both ways. He could have a heart for God, and he could have a heart to protect himself, to ensure that he was taken care of, to ensure that he was the man. And, you know, we know, you know, maybe some of the other kings, if they did some of the things I did, you know, maybe their heart would go astray, but I'm different. I'm special. Have you ever said that about yourself? I'm special. Uh, I can make this happen. If I just put my mind to it, I, can, I think I can make it happen. So as we walk in that, I think the, the road to hell is just kind of, when we initially walk, it's kind of slight. It's just a little bit at a time. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting myself, kind of sliding a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you just see the bottom drop out. And we see the bottom drop out when Solomon started marrying every so many different women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, so 1,000. So, and he lived roughly 20 years. Uh, 20 years, so you can do the math. Those women didn't get a whole lot of time with 
uh, with Solomon. So, so Solomon's way was to make peace, and the way that you make peace with the, you know, with an adversary or even a woman, he, he compromised. So he said, "Well, you know, I'll worship your God, but my heart's still for my my heart's still for the Lord God, but I'll I'll do this." It's not going to work. It never works. So it says, First um, Kings eleven four. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And then it talks about all the the horrible things that went on in Solomon's life in the next 10 verses or so. If you do a search uh, for Solomon's life with all the major religions, they all recognize him. He served all gods, not just the Lord God. I mean, he's considered a major prophet in Islam. Uh, he's considered a prophet in many other pagan religions um, because he served them all. He served them all. But his heart, his heart was simply to take care of himself. Was simply to take care of himself. It's just, it's just tore me up because I've, I haven't been any different. So, we don't see any repentance in his life. Now, some people would argue that Ecclesiastes is, uh, is his repentance. Uh, and you'll see there the effect. Uh, I almost entitled this uh, sermon, Stop Chasing the Wind. That's how he described uh, Operating out of his own flesh, out of he, out of what he would, what he could create by his own strength, his own wisdom, his own power. You know, he was striving after wind, or he was chasing after wind. I've spent most of my life chasing after wind. Is anybody? Am I the only one? So you get that new car fever, and you go out and you buy it. And then two or three days later, you have buyer's remorse. I think there's a 72-hour window where you can take the car back. Because you, you thought that that could give you something in your heart, and all it is is just air. It's just wind. And so you go after the next thing. And you see that in Ecclesiastes where Solomon went after he went after sex, he went after money, he went after uh, building things, creating things. And it was all vanity. You know, uh, like one of the translations I was looking at, it said vexation of spirits. But the one that I like is chasing the wind. So I've spent most of my life chasing the wind. And I can't, I can't walk that way anymore. I can't walk that way anymore. It's, it left him so brokenhearted in Ecclesiastes. When you read through that, you just see the emptiness, the shallowness of just trying to be the man. Now, God wanted to bring peace to Israel, but it would have been his peace. It wouldn't have been the peace that he could create just by his own efforts. So God wants to give you his peace. And he does do that as we surrender our lives to him, as we put everything into his hand, and he brings us through as he supplies our need, as he touches our body when we're sick. I mean, I found that I have to be in a place where there's nothing that can deliver me. There's no one that can deliver me but God. And then in that place, God's been faithful to deliver me I'm like, Lord, I get it. But he wants us to live in that place. 
to where we're fully trusting him and everything is in his control. And then we get the peace of God. And I can't describe the peace of God. It's like, I've never had that uh, until I came back and I really got serious about dealing with my ways, about giving myself fully to Jesus. Initially, I just thought I was dying. I said, Lord, you know, what's wrong? I'm not, no conviction. I, I just, I rested for three days like I hadn't rested in years. So God wants to give us his peace. So let's turn to Colossians. I thought I had, oh, it's in this one. This is from the Lavender Bible. Colossians chapter 3. So I just, I just wonder, you know, why there's, there's such a, uh, so much scripture about Solomon, even given his life. And I just think it's a warning. Honestly, I think it's a warning for us not to walk that way. But Colossians chapter 3, this is from uh, the Lavender Bible. If then you were raised up with Christ... You must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind upon the things above, not upon the things of earth. That's something Solomon was unwilling to do. For you died and your life has been hid with Christ in God. When Christ our life may be manifested, then also you will be manifested with him in glory. Accordingly, you did volitionally put to death your members that are upon the earth, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desire, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked at one time when you used to live in these things. So that's where we start. The gross sins. But then it goes on. But now you did also volitionally put off all these things, anger, wrath, ill will, e evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. You must not lie to one another, having already put off the old man with his practices, and having already put on the new man, the one being renewed in true knowledge, according to the image of the one having created him where there is not Gentile and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, foreigner, Scythian, servant, free man, but Christ is all things and in all. Therefore, you must put on as chosen ones of God, holy and having been, been beloved, deep feelings of compassion, kindness, humility, courtesy, patience toward others, bearing with one another and freely favoring each other, if anyone may have a complaint against another, just as the Christ freely favored you in this manner, you also do. And above all these things have love, which is the bond of perfection. And also let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And you must be thankful. The word of Christ must dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and uh, admonishing each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. And everything, whatever you may do, in word or in work, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and Father through him. So Solomon was unwilling to have the peace of God rule in his heart because he wanted it, he wanted it his way. He wanted it his way. My brothers and my sisters, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus just wants us to give our life to him. There'll be difficult times 
There'll be times where it just looks like we're going to be just wiped out. Or we're going to be destroyed. Jesus will come and he'll rescue us. And he'll give us that peace that only he can give when we're fully given to him. You can't replicate it. It's not cheap. It costs something. It costs your life. It costs my life. But I know the heart of Jesus is that you walk in his peace. So where's your heart today? Is your heart like Solomon, one who wants peace on your own terms? Where you want a nice, comfortable life for yourself? If I just had the comfortable life, don't chase the wind. I can tell you, I've spent my whole life chasing the wind. It's worn me out. It's worn me out. I just want what Jesus wants me to have, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to stand, and I'm going to let him have his way in my heart, in my mind, and what I say and what I do, where I go. Let's pray. So, Lord, we know David was a man after your own heart. And it's so terrifying, Lord, to see what happened to his beloved son, Lord, beloved of Jehovah. We see how he wanted to take care of things himself, to be the man, to be in charge of his life. So, Lord, I'm asking for each one of us that you would deal all the way to the bottom, Lord, that we would no longer walk in this self-sufficient spirit, Lord, Lord, that you would bring us through into your peace, into your rest. So, Lord, I trust you, and my eyes are on you. Have your way, Lord Jesus, I pray in your name.
Thank you for listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We pray that you have a made-up mind, a made-up mind to fully surrender, to fully give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him have his way in your heart, in your life, in everything that you do and say. We welcome you to come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. For the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Of his glory will.